What's going on, friends? It is Stand Up Sales episode four with my co-host Dylan Rich. What's up, dude? How's it going? Ticking along as always, man. I had a bad hair day, so that's why I'm wearing a hat. I don't have your luscious locks, I'm afraid. Um, all right, tell them what's on the uh, what's on the agenda today. Yeah, so number one is uh, we're talking about that draw between our two countries. <sighs> Why did I not know this was going to come up? All right. Yeah, fine. Okay, that's that's point one on the agenda. What's next? <laughs> Let's get off this subject as fast as possible. Yeah, so it's soccer. Um, oh but no, big big agenda here, guys, is uh, we're going to be talking about one call closes versus two call closes when it's appropriate to position your sales process for one or the either. Um, the second one would be discovery call versus a demo. Again, when you delineate when to have a discovery, then a demo, or to just jump right into discovery and demo on that call. Um, and then when to use both, um, depending on your product, your niche, and your industry. Did I miss anything? Nope, that's it. Sweet. Sweet. All right, so one call versus two call. One call, all right, we're going to talk about fucking football. All right, yeah. It was the worst England showing probably of, of my entire like football watching <laughs> history. It was genuinely so flaccid, like we were crap for like, the entire game yeah i didn't watch any of it so i can't really talk too much of it um terrible u.s supporter here very unpatriotic but we do play iran today at 2 p.m um if we win we're into the uh the knockout stage which i think is like essentially us winning the super bowl so i mean american exceptionalism really coming into into itself there you got to the knockout stages and then at that point you basically won it so why yeah. you know, what no that's yeah. not how it works. There's it's another 31 like, teams. Yeah, exactly. We did great. We're the best. <laughs> and and that kind of sets the tone for the rest of this call. Um, all right. So one call, two, one call close versus two call closes. One call close is sexy. Everyone wants to do one call closes. When are they not appropriate? Um, when they have a real business. <laughs> okay. More <depth. laughs> oh, <laughs> More if they don't have any other departments or decision makers that need to be added into the call that aren't on the call on the first call i think that's when you need to delineate a one call call versus a two call call yep. um two call close tongue-tied um but if you're calling like a 70 person SaaS startup like the chances of you doing a one call close with a high ticket offer is I mean, in Super my experience, Super pretty, pretty low, like 1% because they need to get things approved. There's budgets in place. There's other stakeholders that usually you're going to impact multiple areas of the business, hopefully yeah. in your offer. And those people all have a say, right? Like these people are making six figure salaries, like their job is this. Um, plus in SaaS companies, a lot of people have fancy titles and they need to feel included and there's this, you know, this whole org chart involved. Um, so, I mean, if you're selling anything over a couple thousand dollars, like it's going to be a multiple call process. I think the interesting part there is like multiple stakeholders, right? So like, yeah. even if you're selling water to people on fire, there's going to be someone in an organization who will ask the question, oh yeah, but how do we know this works? Right. And then they want to get involved <laughs> in the conversation. Um, I think the the big thing that I found historically selling 
you know, not particularly high ticket, like three to five K, which is baby numbers in reality, right? When you look at the whole B2B yeah. marketplace, those are- For a business? Yeah. yeah, baby numbers. There are gonna be people who want, like, so we talk about this within sales psychology a lot, and it's like, you have to sell into different psychographic profiles, right? So there's gonna be people who are way more analytical. There's gonna be people who are way more like broad brush strokes, give me the top line, that's all I need to care about. Now. The bigger problems come when multiple people are on that first discovery call and you have to sell to basically two individuals who think completely fucking differently and do that effectively, right? Now, the problem kind of alleviates itself when you sell into one person in the disco call and then the second person comes in on the on the demo call because at that point you have at least some semblance of understanding of where you stood in the first part. But like multiple stakeholders are probably going to exist more broadly potentially on the first call, the larger the organization gets. At least that's my experience on it. Absolutely. And like, it's always better. And it's so hard when you have like, I mean, it's great as a salesperson when you see multiple people accepting an invite, you're like, oh, nice. Like this is, there's actually a serious need here and they're, mm -hmm. they're already looping in the people that need to be looped in. Yeah. But at that same time, it's so hard. I mean, it's hard enough to capture and garner the attention of like two people when you have like four with like all the distractions in the world, people are texting, people are looking at their Slack, their emails, people have their cameras off. It's like, it's very hard. So you have to identify very early in the call, like who, who do you need to win over the most? Yep. Like if you have the CEO and the director of digital marketing, like no offense, but you're talking to the CEO, right? On that call. Um, so you have to understand who's on the call. It's important enough where you need to really own their attention. I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to push back a little bit on that. I, I agree broad strokes. I think you're right. Like arguably the most senior person in the room is going to be the one who's like the most useful to, to get buy-in from. But a lot of times that I've seen, you have the, the quote unquote, the user of whatever service or product you're selling and then whoever their boss is. And then at that point, like, yeah, it might be really beneficial to try and sell into the ultimate like economic buyer. But if you spend all of your time there and they, you get the economic buy-in, but the person who's actually going to be using the thing is like, eh, actually, I didn't kind of get a lot of attention here or I didn't get my questions answered here. So I'm going to go with the other person who did sell into my interests. The likelihood is having an advocate who's lower down the chain who can go up and sell to their boss is just as effective as just selling to the boss themselves. I'll push back again, like a champion, okay, yeah, 100%. A, champion a champion is great, right? Yep. But like, there's a reason why they're not the CEO. Yep. So, and they're more feature oriented, like a digital marketing person's like, ooh, this is cool. Ooh, this yep. is super cool. And the CEO's like, is this what I fucking pay you for? Like, how does this alter my business? Like, what is this affecting my top line yep. revenue? So, I mean, that's what I preach all the time is like business needs. That's pain. Pain isn't like, ooh, I need to schedule my social medias across platforms because I'm lazy. Like, yep. that, like that's not a business need. Right? That's, a, that's a personal need and want. Like you have to get down to the nitty gritty of like, all right, if a business needs that, it's like how much time am I spending on you doing the same thing on all the other channels? Like that's wasting money, right? So it's like understanding the business need versus the wants of the individual's role. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with that. Okay. Yeah. So and like when you have a champion, like you put too many eggs in that champion. 
that's fair. Over reliance on that person as like your way in is a surefire way of like thinking that you are way more further along the sale than you are. I could. Oh agree. yeah, I've even yeah. I've fallen into that a few times. Even yeah, like so a second, like a CMO, right? Like sell someone who's like pretty high up the food chain. Yep. Um, <clears throat> but they can't sell us. They it's like telephone, right? If I say something to somebody, it gets diluted, and they don't truly understand it, right? They're not as deep into the the process the sale and the offer as you are and they never will be yep. so you know allowing them to sell a product for you is a terrible terrible idea as a salesperson because they could say the wrong things and the ceo's like oh that i don't like that i, I, I have no interest in this thing yeah 100 yeah. there, there is definitely a way of like coaching whoever you need to to like sell in on your behalf to do it effectively 100 percent, there is an effective way of doing it but that is a skill in and of itself that kind of is a whole podcast worth of conversation. Like that is very, very yeah. deep and not something that most people will learn to do effectively. A great thing to do is if you are talking to a champion, CC the CEO. Yeah. CC him an email. Yeah. 100%. It shows that you care that he, you want him to know what you're saying as well as <clears throat> it's unavoidable for the champion to like pussy out and yeah. not do what he says he's going to do. Like, oh, your boss is CC'd on this email, so what's up? From a from I'm about a, to do that today. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, I have a situation. I've already been talking about it. I mean, they're on Pacific time, so I gotta wait a little bit. But um I, I do that with uh, with response handling a lot. Um yeah. if 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 I've had originally like a conversation with the CEO and they're like, Yeah, hundred percent, I'm gonna put this person on it, like have the conversation, be like, Cool, great. If they ever ghost, I immediately CC the CEO back and be like, hey, I didn't hear back from, from you on this. When's a good time to reconnect about blank, 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 or how far it has, has the deal gone through or whatever. And now immediately everything moves faster. Immediately. So, yeah. yeah. Um, yes. All right. Cool. So then we've, we've talked about one call closes versus two call closes. I think both of us have more of a preference for two call close because it allows you to bring in those secondary stakeholders. <clears throat> like have you have you seen one call closes work with like big legitimate businesses because i have but they're so few and far between yeah it's just so i mean i think my understanding of like how we're going to talk about this is like structuring your sales process because if you structure your sales process for a one call close and it's not a one call close that's going to suck on your resources it's going to affect you know your business in general right if you're like dedicating in your <clears throat> your mindset it's like, oh, this hasn't closed in the first call. Like, then maybe you don't nurture it as well. Mm -hmm. So, like, I think it's setting up your sales process in the beginning as you're building out a sales team, understanding, like, all right, how many how many times have I closed in the first call and how many times have I not? Mm -hmm. right? I, think, I think you need to take a, an, a, a, an honest audit of <clears throat> how you're currently closing yep. um, your product or your service. Um, but in a larger stage organization, I mean, they moved it. They just move slower. Hundred percent. Like I would, I mean, whenever I talk to somebody who does a one call, people who close in the first call are usually a better business people because they see something they like, they understand that speed is is a value, yeah. and you did a good job selling it, and they're ready to buy, yeah. right? Um, now, would you classify a one call close as like contract sent, not paid on that first call? I, oh, that's so tough because there's a gray area in there where it's like, 
Because okay. almost I, I, all my calls, like there is a contract, contract agreement being sent. Yeah. But it's usually, I mean, no one really does a credit card over the phone. Yeah, no, um, that stinks. I hate yeah. that. Yeah, that's like, it's like a weird, it goes back to our last, you know, two calls or two yeah. episodes ago about pushy sales. But um, would you classify those I, as one call close? Or I would it? say, I would, I would give the benefit of the doubt of a one call close for contract sent at the end of call one, maybe a one, two emails back and forth, and then contract signed. I'll give that as, as a one call close. That's fair. What about you? Um, I would, I would, I would tend to lean that same way. So what I classify as a two call close is like discovery call. Yeah. Demo close. Fine. So you're closing on the demo call then. Yes. Or you're saying that contract and sign in legal or whatever, but you essentially want a verbal on that second call. That's a second call. That's a two call close. Um, so I think that leads us into our next point, which is like, delineating when you should be doing just discovery and then scheduling a demo slash closing call yep. um, compared to doing everything at once. My, my big perspective on this. And like, I think like most things about the shit that I try and like put forward to the people who teach and like in my own business, like simple scales better, right? Like yep. ultimately the easiest calls quote unquote are going to be with businesses that you understand the best if you can understand in your own mind with like a great degree of clarity how that business is going to be impacted by what you do the problems that they face and voice that back to them in a way that they understand they are going to be easier closes right yeah therefore you can probably get away with doing a really solid discovery having a really like succinct pitch and closing on a one call when the business and the function that you provide is so simple however most businesses are not like that. So I think for me, the like degree of complexity between your service and the businesses that you're going into, the more complex the business and the more complex the service, the more likely it is you're going to need a two call discovery first, then demo. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're selling like any type of like software, like they're going to need to see it most of the time. So then let's say you're not selling software, right? Because discovery and demo is very much used in like SaaS sales. Let's say it's a service. So it's yeah. your bog standard lead generation service. How does this actually play out? Because you're not going to be demoing anything on the second call. So what actually happens in that second call? So the second call, you could use it as like a Q&A and overview of the proposal. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of things get lost in translation, right? Yep. Like they might not taking great notes. Your recap email might be lacking. Um, then now they get a proposal. They look at it four days after. They're like, "Oh shit, I got this call with this lead gen guy. Let me let me look at the the pandemic yeah, real yeah. quick. Yeah, let me look at it. Let me look at the email real quick. Ah, I'm kind of busy. I don't really want to do this. Let me just have the call and let's just. Then you're kind of like you were in the, in the red zone. Now you're at midfield. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is going to be a closing call. And the guy's like, yeah, what were we talking about again? How much was this? Yeah. So like a lot of people, once that first call happens, like Stop what happens? Yeah, exactly. Like you are assuming the sale too much and you didn't have really done enough to assume the sale. Um, 
So that first call, whether it's a one call close, even more so, or a two call close, like that first call is like the most important call. Like don't rely on the second call um, to do your selling. Like you should be selling on the first call, um, even if it is a discovery, because discovery is the most important part of sales. Um, because, you know, the better you do your first call, the better your second call is going to go. And I think the the big thing that a lot of people in my mind fuck up with discovery is it becomes information gathering with no tangible next step or outcome. There is no yeah. point in asking a million questions that don't further the sale and you just feeling good at the end of it because you're like, okay, great. I booked the second call and I found out loads about them. It's like, okay. And are they any closer to being sold than when they got on the call? No, they're not. But I found out a ton of information that I can use for the second call. Right. So I think your yeah. point about like selling from the get go is important, but it's important not to misconstrue what that actually entails. Yeah. Tying the knot is what I, is what I call it is like taking all the information that you gathered, looping it back together with their needs and their pains mm -hmm. and then tying it all together and putting a bow on it. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Cause I think the, the big limiting factor most people have is that they know that they need to ask questions, right? That's like the drink water of, of sales is just ask more questions. But first of all, if your questions are shit, that's, yeah. that's bad. And if you don't ask questions that like actually get you anywhere, that's also bad, right? You can have great questions that are like interesting to the prospect and will make them think good. That's useful to have. And you can have questions that like potentially will improve your understanding of the business. Also great, useful to have. But if your questions don't further the sale in the prospect's mind, they're not achieving anything. Yeah. Or you're just not using the information that you're getting to your advantage. Yeah. Like knowing why you're asking the question. Like I'm asking this question because it's going to uncover this thing that I solve for. There was a, you shouldn't be asking questions that don't relate to, to your product or service. Like it's just not a good usage of time. I don't, I don't remember whether I, whether I told this little anecdote on the podcast already or not, but like when I was a kid, um, I wanted to be a lawyer really badly. And I, really? uh, yeah, like more than anything, like I, I was like reading legal textbooks as like a 15 year old. I was like super nerd, like whatever. Anyway, really wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, and I went to like a legal summer school. Um, it was like a week long. And at the end of it, they did like a, uh, yeah, I know, like super nerdy, but I really wanted to be a lawyer. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Um, so I went to this legal summer school and something that one of the like super high flying litigators told me at the end, uh, like in the middle of it, I'll remember it forever. Uh, and it like severely impacted like how I approach sales for like, since I was like 15 years old. Uh, and she was like, if you ask a question that you don't already know the answer to, you are derailing the entire cross-examination. And I was like, huh and i didn't understand it i was like can you explain that she was like okay let's say you ask a question that you think is quote unquote interesting right or that might give something to to your case worst case scenario what happens they give you something that derail yeah it takes you totally off your path yep. and you're like scrambling and you're not prepared exactly right she was like you can blow your own case completely wide open by asking a question that you don't know the answer to and that you think might help. And in reality, you're now fucked and the whole case is dead because you asked. Wasn't well, that like an objection, like leading question? <laughs> <laughs> just immediately object to yourself. So it could just get struck off the record. But no, like from, from then on, I was like, okay, well, it begs the question, what, what questions do I know the answer to and how can I phrase those? Right? So for example, if you're selling lead gen, 
the answer to like the best question you can ask is if you don't solve this what happens right and the the answer to that is i'm fucked yeah now if you if you hear right so talking about like tying stuff in a in a bow if you hear from someone that they're railing facebook ads they've got 20 30 leads a week coming in from organic they have no problem with lead then and they lead gen and they just want to add on cold email as another channel and you ask a question like oh well what happens if if you don't do this with us and they're like well nothing because i get 30 <clears throat> leads a week and i have organic and paid ads running so like really and truly not a lot but you guys seem cool so yeah, i'm kind of yeah. reassessing that now because you've asked a stupid question right yeah. so like you should know the answers to the questions that you ask before you ask them, because otherwise you could end up somewhere that you don't want to be. Very easily. Yeah. Very easily. And the easiest way to not ask dumb questions is just do a line of questioning. Yeah. Like yeah. you don't have to chip off the entire block and have a statue in the first question. Yeah. hundred percent. Like, like chip it off at a time piece and then at the end of the call, you should have that, that statue built, you know? Um, but yeah, totally agreed. Like that's very easy. And that's a great point that you brought up. I don't think a lot of people talk about this at all. Um, it's just not asking the right questions. Yeah. I think the, the big thing, like, especially with the sales coaching that I do is people get into the habit of like asking questions all the time. And I'm never going to like have a go at you for asking questions. I'm going to tell you why your questions are dumb and useless, but like, I'm glad that you at least are asking questions and not just pitching off the bat. Like so those what's the, the dumbest question you've heard? Uh, I, I, <laughs> I have the dumbest reply I've ever got, right? right. So uh, I, was, I was helping Default Kings, who are a, uh, like a fitness coaching program, and one of their prospects, so you, um, one of their prospects, uh, they asked the question, oh, like, I think the prospect asked, do you have, like, the ability to, like, change the diet that I'm on because I, like, I adhere to a pretty strict diet. Uh, and they were like, oh yeah, no problem. Like we can customize it to whatever you need. What kind of diet are you on? And the guy was like, I'm a vegetarian, but I eat chicken. And I was like, I've lost all fucking hope in humanity at that point. But like, that's a good question. That's a great question. What diet do you need? We can, we can accommodate it. And then you get that. And it's like, so you're not a vegetarian. <laughs> I'm a vegetarian, but I eat chicken. Yeah, wild. Um, dumbest questions that I've heard. Um, so this one's a bit meta, actually, um, but I think it's worthwhile talking about. I think that any question that starts with like the word "why" is a dumb question. Yeah, because it's all perceived on the prospects. Yeah. Why do you want to do that? Because I fucking want to. What do you mean, why? Don't ask me fucking why. Because I want to. Yeah, like there is no value that you gain from asking questions that start with why. That's my like dumbest question. And yes or no questions, I hate them. I am a little bit more flexible on yes, no questions. I think open open questions are like the the like track your calories of, of sales. Like ask open questions. Well, if the open questions you're asking are shit, then open questions don't matter much. But yes, I think broadly well, open questions. Are all right. Good. So not, yeah. So not all yes, no questions are bad, but yeah. questions that have a higher discernment to be a no. Okay. Is bad. Okay. Interesting. So you're not an advocate for push for the no. Yeah. Push for the yes. Oh, interesting. We have different, we have different perspectives here then. Yeah. I'm a massive advocate of push for the no. 
In what way? Uh, so, for example, um, let's say that a prospect is really struggling with uh, like scaling an outbound team. So they have one that's working, but they don't know how to scale it and like ramp multiple reps, blah, 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 tech that goes with it, all the rest of it. Um, and you ask them a question like, um, would why or for example um how would how i caught myself there i was like what no uh, follow your own fucking advice um how how would the how would the company benefit from x y and z right classic open question right how would the company benefit from this solution or that solution or whatever right that is asking them to place themselves in a future world that they have yeah. no concept of and give a reasoned rational answer it's almost impossible for someone to do that effectively. So you're going to get half answers. So if you flip that question on its head and invert that and be like, tell me why this would be utterly useless for the company. And they go, oh, well, I mean, I don't think it'd be useless. I think there's this problem or this problem or that problem. Okay. Now you have things that you can solve for. Whereas when you ask them to paint this rosy picture of something that they have no real concept of, the likelihood is, is that you get more like, ah, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I can see why this would be useful. And it's just false positives for, for, for you as a salesperson. I would say that's a yes question. You're saying you're, the, the tone of the question is, is of negative intent, okay. but you're searching for a positive answer. Ah, Okay, then this is then this is a discussion on on like very much semantics, right? So like, I'm saying I want them to tell me no. You're saying the sentiment of the would, message should be yes. If you had a built sales team with the perfect tech stack in place, would that be useless to your company? And they're obviously like, well, no, it's it would be very useful. Right. Yeah, that's so, a positive. That's a positive. Yeah. So so yeah. you're pushing for a no with a positive sentiment. Yeah. So we're literally just inverting the same issue. Okay. I'm saying like, don't ask questions that is going to make the prospect say the word no. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So like in a situation like that, um, or like, you know, you said, I, I agree with the future tensing of like, yeah. Hey, like in five years from now, if I was able to build you a sales team, um, <laughs> like that would be a no, that would actually probably be a no answer. Like, no, I can't tell you what yeah. it would be in five years. We don't even, we haven't worked together for one day. Yeah. Um, so like asking, like, I, I don't like those questions either, like future tensing things, what you should be doing is painting the picture. And by the end of the call, ask them what the painting looks like. Yeah. Like each question can be a brush stroke and yeah. you're wanting to paint together an entire picture. Right. Um, and then at the end you can actually warrant that answer. Yeah. But it, six minutes into a discovery call when you know that they don't do LinkedIn outreach and only cold email and you're a LinkedIn agency, like, well, Imagine if you took all of your cold email efforts, translated it into LinkedIn, and then did a hundred connections per us a day. What does that look like? Well, I don't know. Around the call, um, but yeah, and like getting the prospect to say yes, I'm a, I'm a true believer. Okay, so you big like micro yeses guy. They, the more they say yes, the more likely they are to say yes after a period of time. It's just it also just makes them feel better, mm -hmm. like about the conversation. Like this guy made me feel positive yep. because people buy from people they like and the, like the overall vibe that they get. And like the more that they're saying yes, the more that they were probably joking around, laughing, rapport building. Mm -hmm. I think that goes like a super far way um, okay. in the prospect's perception of you. I'm inclined to agree. I think 
this is my whole my whole shtick is right like you you sell to individuals right no two yep. people that you get into a room are going to behave exactly the same think the exact same or have the same motivations for any any given thing right correct but with that said there are there are certain people where like being super social and being like oh yeah and we're like best mates and that's why you're going to buy from me is 100 times out of 100 going to work and they're going to buy equally there are people who are super cold very standoffish where you need to be kind of an asshole in order to get them to buy yeah, well, I'm not saying like be like no, Santa yeah. Claus and be jolly. <laughs> um, I'm saying like just make it as like it's a positive experience talking with you, and they feel genuinely good. I the Grinch really and heart with that. You know, like I, I, I mean, this might be a psychology thing, but like the tonality thing. Yeah. Like I'm a huge believer in that as well. Like a lot, I hear a lot of people saying like match their tonality. Fuck that. Like, absolutely, like, be above their energy. Yes. And I they're going to want to psychologize and match, rise up. Yeah. 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 100% agree. And it's, it's, uh, especially when you have someone that comes in quite low energy, quite low tonality, the, the assumption would be that you should lower down to match them. But like, that's just a race to the bottom. Yeah. Like, it's, you, at no point is that person just going to be like, oh, you know what? Three minutes in, I'm actually really happy and then take a jump up so that you can come back up. No, it's just going to keep going lower and lower and lower. Yeah. 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 Just be just, I have the same energy in every call. Yeah. Same. Like before this podcast, I was cleaning up dog poop and like, I was like, oh my God, I have like 12 meetings today, but it's like back on, you know, it's back on, back on. Um, but yeah, you definitely got to bring the energy on the sales calls. You can't. I think down. I think the big thing that I've learned from like reviewing so many people's sales calls is there's a difference between like being a high energy person, which I think both of us like are, and being high energy on a sales call. Because one of the lowest energy people, like super chill, like not particularly loud that I've ever seen, even like nights out, he's still kind of pretty reserved. Like the minute he steps onto a sales call, he just like it's like someone turns the lights on inside and he's just like, bang, yeah. and he's right there. And you can see that he's like consciously thinking about it. He's very much involved in the conversation. And the difference between that and someone that's like, oh yeah, so this is what we do. And, um, you know, like it's a pretty useful. So like, I'm not buying from the second guy ever. Like that guy may basically is a moron in my mind. Even if he has better yeah. question asking, better solution to need, yeah. like if he does all of that, better but i just don't like the conversation i'm like fuck like this is a cool product or service but i just really don't give a shit about it um will produce lower results than the person who may not do the best discovery but is like you said very present on the call engaged and making the person feel heard yeah 100 percent. okay so We've talked about disco versus demo calls. We've kind of talked about the intricacies within that and what that actually entails. So I have a question to, yeah, before go, we go yeah, yeah. disco and demo. Yeah. Is um, <clears throat> demo calls are very uncharted, shaky waters for salespeople, I think. Okay. Like the way, so like if you do a discovery call and then you yeah. book a demo call, mm -hmm. I see a lot of sales rep flop because they just do a demo. They totally forgot ah, the discovery yes. and they don't, they don't take good notes on the discovery. So the biggest thing for me before a demo call 
is hopefully you recorded the discovery call or you took really good notes. Um, use all of that ammunition. Yeah. Use I'm all of that ammunition. Like, I'm, I'm terrible for like pre-discovery call. I tend to have like less than a 30 second look at whatever the prospect website is and go, yeah, all right. Or, no, that's, no, I'm saying like on the, the demo yeah. call, yeah. But then before a demo call, before a oh, second okay. call, any of them, I will spend at least 20 minutes going through every, all of the notes I take. I take at least a page of notes for every discovery call I go on and then going back to the website, going through the case studies, understanding the business as much as I humanly can. Because then at that point, going back to our previous point, you are like locked into that call. You have exactly the ammunition that you need to do a useful demo instead of just kind of like doing the same bog standard, like, oh, and this is what we do and this is how we help for like 30 minutes. And then they go, great. I didn't hear anything about <laughs> me in that. That's basically yeah. useless information to me. Cool, thanks. We'll let you know. Yeah, if you do your discovery call good enough, like your demo should never be truly the same. Yeah. Like, like you should know what they give a shit about and tell them, preface it in the beginning of the call. Yeah. Like, hey, John, you know, I know we spoke last time. This is what you told me. Is that still the right thing? Yes. 100%. That, I, I, I want to dial in on that just for a second. The amount of so like second calls, demo calls, whatever you want to call them, that I've reviewed where people don't fucking summarize what happened last time is yeah. inane. I do not understand why people don't do it. It baffles me. Because it's like, yeah, it's yeah, you are invested in this because you're trying to sell your thing. They have a billion other things that are going on, and you're just yeah. assuming that they've come in with the same level of knowledge, which is a bold-faced <laughs> lie. Because they, yeah. they care about this way less than you do. Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. So, and then when you, you set the table for that, it might remind them of things that you did a good job of uncovering that they might have forgot about. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, yeah, last call, you told me that you guys were having a struggle, you know, with your X, Y, Z of this thing. Oh, yeah, actually, we are. That's right. Um, <clears throat> or if something has changed, like, that's even more important. Like, is that still true? Yes, micro. Yes. Um, to my point earlier. But and then you're essentially what I always say is like, you know, I can go over everything. We have a lot of bells and whistles and cool things for you. But given on what you told me last call, which was this, this, and this, I'm just going to show you what's relevant. Feel free to ask questions throughout um, and then ask me if you want me to expand on anything. But I want to make sure that this demo is curtailed to you, Mr. Prospect. So yeah. you're getting the best use of this time here. Um, and we have still have time for Q&A afterwards. Because a lot of people do like a 25-minute demo. You have five minutes up on your second call. Yeah. Like now it's going to be a three-call close. 100%. I remember when we were looking at like tech partners for the software platform that we built. Maybe go and use it if you don't. Um, uh, pitch. Um, but like watching how like AEs at serious SaaS companies are doing demos. Like there was one point where I was on one and I literally just stopped them in the middle of the call. I was like, look, less than 10% of the stuff that you've talked about is useful to us. I get that you have like a slide deck and like a way of doing demos that you've clearly been told to do, but like, all I care about is this, 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 and this. Can we just focus on that for the next 15 minutes? Cause we're going to have questions at the end. And they were like, um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess. And it's like, come on. Like, I get you didn't do the discovery, right? The SDR did it, but the SDR did a great job. The SDR was yeah. brilliant. Tons of questions really nailed exactly what we wanted. And you'd assume that that fed into whichever AE they then planted it off to. But it didn't. 
So at that point, I'm now listening to a pitch about basically a bunch of a suite of products that are useless to me. And I'm like, why did I get on this call? Yeah, it happens. It happens way too much. That's why the best closers are SDRs. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> if you've done the a setting job, you can 100% do a closing job. Genuinely. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. Because you can teach someone how to close. You can't teach someone the curiosity and like the actual want to do discovery. Um, but yeah, yeah, SaaS AEs, I mean, given our, you know, two episodes ago, like I still haven't heard from most of them. has been two whole weeks and they haven't actually called you back? They haven't called me once. They just had one email. Oh the my God. No email drips, no newsletter, nothing. No Cyber Monday deals, no Black Friday deals. Flipping Insane. Anyway, all right. So there are going to be people out there who are one-call closing people. Yeah. And they're going to be like, well, I can one-call close, so why would I bother doing a two-call close? And I think that's, that's worthwhile talking about because I know people who are one-call closing pretty regularly. And yeah. it seems stupid to only address the two-call close market. So how do you effectively run a one-call close? You got to make it a longer call. That's the first step. Okay. You cannot, I mean, you can, but if you're going to do a proper discovery on like an ice cold prospect mm -hmm. and then close them and answer all their needs and, and, and then you're going to need at least 45. Yeah, I would agree. You're going to need, because you don't want to try to box in, in 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And if it is a 30 minute call, the first three out of the first three things out of your mouth should be, do we have a hard stop at this time? Yeah. If they say yes, that changes your entire trajectory of that call. If they say no, ask how long after the call do they have to do it? Um, <laughs> that should be like the beginning frameworks. Yep. Like, hey, I know we have a 30 minute schedule here. Um, I actually have a couple of minutes after this call. Um, do you have a hard stop or could we go over if there's extra Q&A? Yep, 100%. And then so in, terms of, in terms of format for that one call close, right? Like I have my method. If, if you were in the position where, you know, you're selling something that could one call close or you just have a prospect that is blowing up your phone. Oh, when can we get a meeting? This is brilliant. I'm ready to buy, blah, 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 blah. How does the one call close work in your mind? I would say 75 discovery, 15 okay. pitch, yep. and five like Logistics pricing negotiations, closing yep. onboarding. Okay. I'm, I'm basically the same. Um, I think that in reality, most people have a like a few more questions than like 5% is going to answer. So like I would probably go 60, 20, 20, just because like inevitably, like as bad as it sounds, most people are not good enough at the pitch or the discovery to squeeze it in right at the end, right? There's gonna need to be a little portion where you donate to potential Q and A because most people just aren't that good. Yeah, that's fair, yeah. But I mean, most of your questions should be asked and answered in that 75 part. Yeah, 100%, agreed. And then so any, when, any left should be answered during a great pitch that talks specifically to the problems that they've detailed during discovery. Yeah. So you're, I, I, I kind of want to loop all the way back, right? So I know that when we started, you were like, most businesses are not going to be able to do like a two call, like a one call close. Um, I think that's true 
I think, however, most people should aim for a one call close because Parkinson's law, the longer you some the longer you stretch something out, the more likely it is to take that long. Absolutely. If, if if we set the expectation that the goal is close everyone in one call and it actually takes two. Okay, I don't care. If we set the goal, we're going to close in two and it takes three and I don't care. Well, now you've potentially halved sales velocity. Potentially. So for me, it's like, okay, the goal should be run a fantastic discovery in call call one, do a solid pitch. And if there is the requirement of like second or third calls, then understand that that is the reality of your situation. Schedule call two at the end of call one, because inevitably they will have questions if they're not like, yeah, 100%, I'm sold, let's do it. Great. Schedule that call. And then call two is a decision-making call. Yeah, don't ever make a call two if it's not needed. (laughs) Yeah, oh my God. I remember speaking to someone and they were like, yeah, so like at the moment I'm, I'm closing on one call at like, you know, almost 50%, but I saw other people doing two call closes. Should I do two, two call closes? And I'm like, no, you shouldn't. You should keep doing exactly what you're doing and just get better at that. Because why the hell are you going to lengthen your sales cycle? Because yeah. other people take two calls to close. That's just a waste of your time. Waste of your time. Yeah, 100%. So one call closes, I mean, if you're selling like, I mean, if you're in like an agency mm-hmm. or a coaching program or things that are sold to individuals yep. more so or smaller entities, highly recommend the one call close. Yeah. Agreed. I think you're selling that... an organization where yeah. the, you impact multiple people's jobs and yeah. roles and responsibilities, most likely two call. Just to set expectation. Is, is there like a, a quote unquote, like employee number that acts as a heuristic in your mind for where like something transfers from like a business or an agency to an organization? Yeah. If they have like over 20 employees, probably. that was going to be my number two, like more than 25 employees. And now we're dealing with a, a behemoth that is going to take longer to close. Yeah. And they might have like a finance department, accounting department. You had to give them a W nine to become a vendor. Like there's always other things that people like, probably don't even understand um, that is required from like a business, like a C corporation entity, not an LLC um, that you're going to need to account for and not be like too pushy on it. Yeah. Agreed. All right. I'm looping all the way back. You brought up football. So I'm bringing this back up. Um, you or rather we did not do your version of objection handling last yes. week. So we're doing it this week. Go for it. All right. So what is the situation first? (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, Okay. We've we've talked about multiple decision makers the entire time. Uh, Let's see how you deal with uh, selling into two different people uh, and they want to include someone else in the deal. So end of of call one, both of them are pretty bought in, but they want to include a couple of other stakeholders on the second call. Understood. Cool. Uh, Dylan, this all sounds great. Um, everything that we've spoken about is, I mean, you've, you nailed our problems. That is exactly what we're facing right now. But the big issue is we've got to involve people from finance. I mean, I know that our CRO is going to want to get involved. Uh, we've got a couple of people that we'd want to bring into the call next time just to make sure that everyone's aligned and everyone's kind of got their questions answered. Is that is that fine? Yeah, David, totally understand and totally a, uh, a valid ask, right? So my only question to you, David, is 
obviously finance needs to get involved. This thing costs money. Um, the CRO, is he the individual that has to ultimately sign the contract? Uh, no, that would be me. Okay, so you're the one that's making the decision. 100%. We just need visibility across the board. 100%. I'm sure he has questions that he's going to want to ask you that's more specialized to what those guys are doing. But yeah, from everything you told me and our marketing guy, we're, we're good to go. But he needs, he needs to be involved in this. Fantastic. So what we normally do in this situation, David, is I'll send you over the contract. We get that executed. And then when we loop in everyone that's going to need visibility is on our onboarding call. So we'll have a call with every single person. We can even do department specific calls, give them visibility and actually have a more in-depth conversation that's relevant to their responsibilities in their department um, on how automated revenue is going to be affecting that. Does that sound fair? Uh, yes, but the only thing that I would say is I know that he's going to want to have some questions for you specifically before we sign that's going to be used, I guess, in internally as like a decision making process. We're going to make sure that like everyone's aligned that this is the right thing to be doing. I'm pretty happy with it. Like I said, you've sold me effectively, but we didn't manage to get him on the call today. And I think we're going to need another call just so that he feels like he's his voice is heard. Okay. And what does he normally need to hear to make a confident decision in your understanding of working with him. Yeah. So I think the big one, I think the, the, the economics of working this out, like how much, you know, re how much revenue we're likely to see as a result of working with you is going to be a big one for him. Uh, how much internal resource, if any, is going to be allocated to this, uh, whether we're going to need to, you know, bring in other sorts of tech partners, all those kinds of stuff that is very much his ballpark and that I don't really sit on. I don't really know the questions he's going to ask, but gut instinct is probably going to be those. Understood. Understood. So you're a sales guy, right, David? Um, you and I have both had situations like this, right? Where you're at the finish line, you want to add in other stakeholders. Maybe he, you know, gets sick next week. This gets pushed off two weeks. Yeah. You know, you told me specifically that if you don't implement what we do here, you're leaving money on the table. Yeah. So in regards to working on the logistics, that's totally fine and a warranted ask. But my question to you, right, is if we get off this call and we don't make a decision here, you know, what is truly being left on the table from an ROI perspective? Yeah, I, we, we went over this. It's a significant amount of money. I completely agree with you that it's, it's definitely not in our interest to delay this. Um, I'm looking at his calendar right now and I can see that he has a spot open at the end of the week. Um, I know that I have that open. If we don't get marketing guy in, no big deal. But so long as we can have that call with the two of us and we can get all of the questions answered, we'll be good to go. Understood. So let's book that in, David. Um, sure. I'll put that on the calendar. What I will do in the meantime, in the interim, to make this a more fast and efficient process is I took some notes on the questions that he's probably going to want to hear, right? Um, I'm going to send you an email with the contract mm -hmm. as well as a Loom video going over exactly what you told me. I'll send that to you and him. I'll CC him on the email. Sweet. If that was answers the questions, do you think this is something that we could sign midweek and make that Friday call an actual onboarding call? Uh, yeah, so long as he doesn't have any questions and we can we can get it ironed out, I don't see a problem. Awesome. So I know this is a very important need for you and I want to be cognizant of your timeline and your business. So I'll send those two things over. I'll CC the CRO on there. Um, if we have any questions, we can hash it out on email or more than happy to do that on that Friday call. Sounds good. Awesome. Sweet. I want to dig into what you did there because it was really interesting. So yeah. you explain your thought process and I'll explain on the receiving end how it came across. 
Yeah. So, I mean, at some point, you don't want to be the too pushy sales guy, right? This guy is sold. He's bought in. You don't want to tarnish the relationship and like make him see you as like, ah, you know, I thought that one was kind of cool, but I was kind of being an asshole. Yeah. Um, and like, honestly, there's some valid questions there, right? Like that guy needs to be logistics. He's the CRO. It's not like this is my intern marketing person um, that <laughs> I really want, who, is, who I'm going to make use your product and not me. Um, so there were valid reasons there. I did navigate to the point where I thought was, was sufficient enough, mm -hmm. right. Um, to where I felt like this was an actual valid objection. Um, and the end of the week, isn't the worst thing in the world. Um, and I kind of did a compromise with that loan. Yeah. hundred percent. I think the, the big thing that I picked up on is like, just because I said, oh yeah, we need to bring this guy in. You didn't immediately fold. Yeah. Cause that's, the, I think one one thing that i've noticed from doing these call reviews regularly is that like when the first like objection that comes up that is like oh yeah we need to bring this person in they do the right thing which is push for a second push for that call but you need to exhaust the options and be like okay but let's talk about this why is this relevant why is this important blah 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 blah, blah, blah. because there is the off chance that they're like yeah you know what you're right we don't need that fine fuck it let's do it and then you've saved yourself four or five days and potentially saved yourself a deal. Let's say the CRO is an asshole and doesn't want to do it. What are you going to do then? Yeah. You've yeah. sold it. Yeah, you got to at least, you got to give it a college try. <laughs> yeah, exactly. hundred um, percent. But the other interesting thing was like the first questions or like one of the first questions you asked, it's like, okay, what does he care about? Tell me exactly what you think he's going to ask. And then I'll be in a better position to kind of understand where the lay of the land is, right? Understanding that this decision criteria is so important and most people have no concept of it. We just taught this in client ascension like two weeks ago because people had kind of gotten to the level where they were doing the right stuff and they were getting bombarded with this as a problem. So like, yeah, understand decision criteria, find out what matters to that person and then try to influence those criteria. I had a call yesterday. Um, he's the co-founder, right? Mm -hmm. He, he essentially manages the sales side of things mm -hmm. and he goes, yeah, I need my business partner involved in the decision. He's ultimately the one that funds these things. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was like, great. Like, what does he care about? Is he more analytical? Is he more like, you know, totally money driven? Like, what is that? And he's like, oh, well, he cares about this, this and that. And I wrote it all down. I'm like, all right, great. Now I'm, now I know how to talk to him on that call. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. And I think the big consideration is if you don't do that and the assumption is, oh yeah, it's fine. Just bring them along and you go into it blind. You're now dealing with someone who is completely cold. You can't assume that that person has been pre-sold by whatever stakeholder you've been in the room with. Now you have another two call close. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that, that wraps us up today. I think it was a good session. Yeah. Um, episode four in the books. Done. Melody link in the description. <laughs> Use my product. Bye.